drink and I know things. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. What's up, y'all? And welcome to I'ma Need More Wine, a podcast about shit we like and shit we don't like. This is Christine, and with me is my co-host Jocelyn. Today, we pick up right where we left off, discussing the shit we liked and the shit we didn't like about the groundbreaking and historic HBO series, Game of Thrones. Christine, let's talk about favorite seasons. What was yours? So this was actually the hardest question for me. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, because I think... With the exception of one and a half seasons, the seasons were all pretty good. So it's kind of hard to name one, Mm -hmm. but I think my favorite is actually season six. Interesting. Remind me, because that was not on my list. Christine, remind me and remind our audience (laughs) what the hell happened in season six. (laughs) So, so much happens in season six. First of all, this was the first season where we were all unsullied. We were off book, with the exception of a little bit of Arya's storyline. We were in completely new territory. Nobody knew shit. So that was great. Like I said, it was like returning to the magic of season one all over again, where I didn't know what was going to happen. So Jon Snow, first of all, is resurrected. Tyrion is helping to rule Marine while Danny is captured by the Dothraki. You've got Bran training with the Three-Eyed Raven and we're starting to get flashbacks. We also get Sansa and Jon reuniting, our first Stark reunion, mm-hmm. which honestly was so incredible and so moving and it was the first time that these two actors actually interacted with each other right which is crazy considering how moving that moment was and we were starting to get some fan service like we had had five seasons of misery and things were starting to like look a little good for the starks and you couldn't trust that feeling Mm -hmm. which honestly for me i think was a great feeling you know part of the love of game of thrones is the torture that it inflicts on you so when you start getting good things you question them and i kind of actually really enjoy that the faith And the crown merging and causing all types of shenanigans with that. You've got Cersei's trial. You've got the Battle of the Bastards, which is probably one of the best episodes in Game of Thrones history. It was absolutely spectacular. I don't think I will ever forget the moment of Jon fucking up in typical Jon fashion and (laughs) making a mistake in order to do what he thinks is the right thing, but strategically not so good, and facing that cavalry, that heavy horse coming straight at him and unsheathing his sword and hearing the beautiful score by Mr. Jawadi again. Ah, it's just incredible. You also have the sacrifice of Hodor, Mm -hmm. which honestly was the first time I sobbed 
watching Game of Thrones. So we learn how Hodor gets his name. We see his incredible sacrifice. And I was actually out of the country when this episode aired. And I got a text from my friend who was like, yo, did you see last night's episode? And I was like, yo, actually, I was up at 2 a.m. My VPN was working, but for some reason, like, the internet wasn't strong enough, and I couldn't watch it. And he was like, yo, if you can't watch this episode, come home. (laughs) Oh, my God. I swear to God. Dramatic, but accurate as fuck. I swear to God. It was like day two of a two-week vacation i was like son you playing like i'm not coming home just as my vacation started he's like no 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 you don't understand if you can't see this episode come home (laughs) so there is a picture of me in a pie shop in galway ireland (laughs) with my ipad and my headphones and my face in my hands as I'm watching the door, I was literally sobbing in a fucking pie shop. Oh my god. Not in a pie shop with delicious pies? Yes. Oh my god. And my pie was delicious. I, I had say, pie what kind of pie did you have? So Wait, good. Christine, tell us about the pie. I'm sorry, but. I don't remember. I had meat and vegetables in it. Mm. I honestly don't remember which pie I had, but. I will look up the shop and see if the menu is relatively the same because I'm pretty sure that if I saw the menu, You'd remember. I would remember which pie I ordered. I will leave this shit in the show notes. And yes, I will hook y'all up with some delicious pie. I think it's called the Pie Maker. Oh my God, Galway. I'm heartbroken and also hungry now. Okay. But they also have really strong Wi-Fi. So I was able <laughs> to stream the episode and I... And I understood why my friend was like, get your ass home if you can't see this episode. And, of course, season six concludes with The Winds of Winter, which, you know, the music of which we already discussed, but the great trial and the blowing up of the Sept of Baylor and Cersei torturing Septa Unella. And, I mean, it had all the things. That, too, was a really amazing episode. And for so many people, it's their favorite. So... I mean, it had a really strong finish with the Battle of the Bastards and the Winds of Winter. So, season six, the takeaway I have of season six, once the show has wrapped, is there's no reason that the end of season seven and season eight happened the way they happened. Yeah. Because season six was fantastic. You know, so many people share the sketch of the horse mm-hmm. as a um, description of the quality of the seasons of Game of Thrones as you go from season one to season eight where it starts off with this detailed drawing of the horse and by the end of it it's like a stick figure yeah and season six I think has this bad rap of being part of the stick figure part of the horse but I think they did such a fantastic job being off book. I don't know if it was because of it being the first season for me where I didn't have book material to rely on that I gave that maybe my standards were lower. I don't think so. I don't I don't I think it's an excellent season that stands on its own and proves 
that they could tell this story well without having the books to rely on for the outline and for certain parts of the dialogue, you know? What I think it's also worth noting is that season six is the last time they did ten episodes in a season. That is it. Yeah. That part. And I think that that, that part. makes a significant difference. Because I completely agree with you. I don't think, when we're thinking about the horse, I certainly don't think of season six as being sort of the skeletal part. I, I'm on board with it. I, I agree. I, I thought it was a good season. So I guess it's my turn. Yeah, so tell me, which season was your favorite season? Well, I could not pick between. I, it boiled down to two for me. So I'm going to be very brief here. And the tie for me was between three and four. So mm. season three, because of the episode The Climb, um, which includes one of my favorite scenes ever between two characters that I wish had just gotten way more screen time together but I understand I don't this isn't a criticism it's just that when you love a scene so much and you're like oh you know you become sort of gluttonous and you're like you want more but the climb gives me that wonderful exchange between Varys and Littlefinger and the infamous chaos is a lot of like I mean those two we've been talking a lot about like Barroom culture, shading, reading. I mean, I don't know two people that do it better than Varys and Littlefinger. So that season Child. will always be a sentimental. I mean, listen, I have not, no disrespect to Lady Elena, who's probably sort of the, the queen of them all. But I mean, those two just exchanging barbs is just one of my favorite moments of the entire series. So for me, it bolsters the season as a whole. It also gives me some of my favorite moments of my problematic fave, Daenerys. Because let me tell y'all something. That motherfucking scene with the Unsullied and the Masters, and she's been playing all this time. Like, she doesn't know that, you know, she doesn't speak high Valerian, you know, Valerian, and they're just, yes. you know, treating her like a sucker. And then she turns over. I'm pretty sure it was Drogon, because this black ass was always in the mix. But she turns over that dragon to that master, and then turns to him, and just, like, it, it, it's also the musical cue. Like, the way the music gets more intense, and she's like, and then she, and then, like, <laughs> and then like Drogon roasts that motherfucker, and they wreck shit. Bitch, I fucking lived. So... That was, I know that people like to sort of call those of us that like the, the yes, queen, moments of Danny, like the basic pumpkin spice latte faction of the fandom. But bitch, I'm standing tall and proud because I was like, yes, queen. Like when she burned the motherfuckers down, the dragons start fucking it up, the masters are going down. That shit was deeply satisfying. So that, I mean, to me, it just season three gave me those moments like where you just want to like shake your titties and be like yes i'm literally shaking my titties i'm glad that you can't see me because i'm literally gonna shimmy just now and then of course the reigns of castamere now i told y'all i'm a scorpio i'm a little bit on the dark side so like the whole like i mean all right am i sad that they killed ned stark again on the show yeah Stabbing a pregnant woman in her belly is seriously fucked up, guys. I'm not even, like, trying to, like, 
you know, undersell that part of it. But there's also this very, like, Omar Little of the Wire part of me that's like, you know what, homie, it's all in the game. Like, what did you expect? You came up in this man's home with all of the disrespect. So that never really fucked me up. Like, I, I will be the first to admit, the Red Wedding, I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, just shrug. It's just how I felt about it. But what I do love about that episode is when Bran and Rickon say goodbye to each other. Now, when I tell you I shed a fucking thug tear, a bitch was in tears when Bran and Rickon, you know, when Bran realizes in order for me to sort of fulfill this journey that I'm on, I can't continue to have Rickon with me. Now, obviously, we know that things don't work out for Rickon in the end, but that broke my heart. It was so just, it was uh, it's it's like the, it's also like the scene where they say goodbye to to Maester Lewin when he's dying. It's just the oh. heart and the history and the love behind it just really fucked with my heart on a lot of different levels. And I can't like it's it goes back to what you said about Game of Thrones being this show that like we love it and it's got these thrilling moments, right? Where like Drogon fucking up the city of the of the slave masters and Danny totally turning the tables and, and like giving me a yes queen moment. But it's also one of the things that endears you to the show are these moments that completely like rip your heart to shreds. And for me in the Reigns of Castamere, it's that scene where Rickon and Bran say goodbye to each other and Osha vows, you know, to protect Rickon and look after him and and, and I and I felt that in the moment. I felt that without having any knowledge of what was coming ahead for any of those characters. But God, I love that scene for for all of the sort of tear my heart out stomp it to pieces and destroy me reasons i love that scene in season three so i'm so glad you brought up the climb because for me all right we're already three seasons in yes we'd had black water and whatnot but there's just a quiet moment in the climb where it just hammered home that game of thrones has taken tv to the epic level and that was when John and Egret make it to the top of the wall. Mm-hmm. And they can see the north. They can see the true north. Yes. And just like the vast scale of it. Now, of course, all of that shit was probably CGI. But in that moment, it was just absolutely stunning and beautiful and literally epic. So mm-hmm. I wanted to lift that moment up. And there's another scene from season three that contributes to this being one of the best seasons. And again, it is two characters having a scene together. And to me, that's where Game of Thrones really shines. Yes. It's literally these one-on-one conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's Jamie and Brienne in the pool Mm -hmm. where Jamie shares the story of what really happened. Yes. During the sack of King's Landing where he earns the title of Kingslayer. And that entire scene... I just, I remember reading it in the books and having my mind blown mm-hmm. and acknowledging the genius of George R. R. Martin because he did such a 
brilliant job of making you hate and loathe this character. And in one scene, your heart and mind starts to change mm-hmm. about him. And I think they did a really masterful job. One, in casting both of these characters. You know, Nikolai and Gwendolyn are absolute dreams. Yeah. I love their on-air chemistry. I love their off-air chemistry. It is so obvious that Nikolai respects Gwendolyn and loves Gwendolyn so fucking much. So true. Um, and it looks so good on the screen. But yeah, that scene is just so powerful and so well done. And the tightness of the camera on both of them as they deliver these lines. Oh, it's just and it's just the beginning of your love affair with Jamie Lannister. And it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. But yes, girl. Anyway, I just wanted to get a little of my own love in for season three. But I love. I would love to hear what you have to say about season four. So my tie with season three, I'd probably give the nudge to season three. But how can I not? When we talk about favorite seasons, how can I not include the season with Oberyn fucking Martell? Yes. And Pedro Pascal, who I just look at and I feel like, oh my god. I'm pregnant. Like, that fucking man. So, my favorite nickname for him is the Freaky Prince. And, I mean, just even that first scene when he comes in and he just sort of swipes his hand over that flaming candle. And you're just, oh, just so much, mm, so much thirst and so much lust in my heart. I'm not going to go full on over in thirst right now because we're going to talk about our favorite thirsty choices from the series, but it is, it is just a, it is a wonderful thing to be able to experience when an actor comes on to a show in a limited role and completely, and completely just fucks your entire universe up in all of the best ways. I mean, I cannot think of many limited guest spots in which an actor has had more of an impact on a series than Pedro Pascal on Game of Thrones. Because if you didn't walk away from season four loving Oberyn, I I don't know. I like I'm trying not to judge you, but I'm like Loki kinda judging you because he was so fucking good. Like Damn, he was good. And then I'm, you know, I'm not gonna get into the sand snakes. I'm not gonna go there. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. But goddamn, he left an impression. So it's really hard for me not to think of season four as one of my favorites. And I say that as someone who understands that season four also includes, you know, what is it, the Viper versus the Mountain or whatever that se- that episode is that I refuse to acknowledge. Like, all I remember is Oberyn was doing his, th- his thing and he was just swooping and being all magical and then my TV, like, sort of blacked out and I don't know what happened after that. Anyhow. Monologuing. Monologuing is what happened. Yes, monologuing. But in my mind, Oberyn is just off somewhere, like living his best life, having some really good sex. And I refuse to accept any other ending for Oberyn. We're not going to acknowledge what may have actually happened in that episode, uh, The Mountain versus the Viper. So I also love, so I am this 
discussion want to kind of reclaim Stannis for those of us that aren't fuckboys. And I am not a fuckboy. Stannis boy. the menace! <laughs> so, listen, Stannis, I enjoy a problematic fave from time to time. Danny, I enjoy Danny. Danny is a problematic fave. Stannis, I like somebody that's, like, to this day, when some people say, like, less, and I'm like, you mean fewer, fewer. You mean fewer. <laughs> like, Stannis had an impact. Stannis is one of my problematic faves, and I love sweet, precious baby Shireen, but I also love Stannis, and so one of my favorite scenes in, in season four is when Stannis swoops in in that final episode after is it the Watchers of the Wall when, like, John goes to sort of have his, like, parlay with uh, Mance Raider, who, that actor, uh, was also in Rome. Guys, you should watch Rome. But when John goes to have the parlay with, with Mance Raider, and all of a sudden Stannis and Davos just swoop in with their, like, you know, their refreshed army, just badass, after he's, like, read the prophecy that Melisandre pulled from the fire, basically saying that he needs to go to the north. I fucking... Love that scene. I really love... I don't know what it is. Maybe I have a thing for, like, two uptight men being totally uptight with each other that I need to explore. But the Stannis John scenes really did it for me. And I love when, you know, when Stannis, you know, talks, contemplates what he wants to do with Mance. And John says, you know, you know, comes forward as being the quote-unquote, at that time, bastard of Ned Stark and, and sort of, you know, talks about how how Mance had been fair to him when he was his captor and and sort of draws upon how he thinks his father would handle it because he knows that that's sort of really Stannis's jam like that's it that's Stannis's shit because you know we know that Stannis had respect for Ned because Ned was dying on that fucking Stannis hill um to the very end so I I love that see that scene in the finale, which is the children, and that episode also happens to have the epic battle between Brienne and the Hound, which I also love. Um, and and that season also includes Joffrey's death. Yes, and Joffrey on it. And Joffrey's death, you guys, that shit was like I'm not gonna say it was better than sex, but goddamn, it was as good as a as a delicious meal. I mean, it was just deeply satisfying because Joffrey was on his peak bullshit that whole episode and when that bitch starts choking up and turning purple when I tell y'all I got my entire life I was like standing up jumping around like screaming yelling enjoy and I knew what was coming I had I knew about the purple wedding, but this is this is I guess why I have the the perspective I do about spoilers. Like I can know what's coming, but it doesn't mean that it's any less satisfying than when I actually watched him in pain, dying in his mother's arms. It was just delightful. I loved it. Christine, were there any bits about season four that you loved or hated or felt? Shit, so many. I'm sorry. I'm like, yo, is season six my favorite? <laughs> Shit. So- so there's, oh my god, okay, so one, Tyrion's trial. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. One, I remember seeing seeing that scene where he just goes off on everybody. He's like, I ain't getting no fucking due process here. This is not a fair trial. And he just like cusses everybody out. 
I was like, if y'all don't give this man a motherfucking Emmy, I'm going to be mad as shit. So that scene definitely was one of the highlights of the season for me. Another one, in hindsight, is the scene where Yara comes to the Dread Fort to free Theon. And Theon's like, I don't know who the fuck Theon is. I'm Reek. Ramsey, come rescue me from these people. I don't know what they're trying to do. Because trauma is a bitch, y'all. One of the things that I think Game of Thrones did really well was show the effects of trauma mm-hmm. and how recovery is not linear. Yeah. But usually only for the male characters. I mean, they had some some issues with trauma and, and, and language, I think, for some of the female Amen. characters. However, that scene with Theon and Yara, I thought, uh, and Ramsey, was so compelling, so fucking real, and your heart just fucking breaks. Mm-hmm for Theon in that moment. And you can kind of understand why Yara is like hella pissed. I mean, she put her life on the line. But at the same time, like, people with trauma and PTSD can't always be the people you want them to be. They're going through some shit. And I just thought it was a really great portrayal of that. And the other, I think, like, oh, they're t- There's a scene and a whole episode that I want to lift up. The other scene relates to Theon's trial, and I think it comes in a later episode because the trial and Yara happen in the laws of gods and men. Mm -hmm. And I think Tyrion gets his champion in the following episode, which is Mockingbird. And that scene between him and Oberyn in the crypts. Shout Listen. Ooh! Where Oberyn tells the story of him and his family coming to visit the Lannisters when Tyrion was born, and how Cersei was talking about how this, like, demon was born to the family. And Oberyn's like, what are you talking about? That's just a baby. Mm-hmm. And just him recognizing the humanity in Tyrion, which Tyrion can't even get from his own family, and the reaction... Of Tyrion hearing that story. I mean he's already dealing with the fact that his sister. Is setting up his trial. To kill him. His father is presiding over it. His brother can't be his champion. And he's just like he is completely disserviced from his family from top to bottom and then you add this story on top of it you're just like fuck man like somebody hugged Tyrion and basically this was a verbal hug you know just Oberyn being like I'll be your champion I will be your champion yes I'm doing doing the booby shimmy I'm doing it (laughs) yes It was just, oh, it was so fucking brilliant. Um, anyway, so, and it's, it was, at that point, my two favorite characters in the show. Mm-hmm. Oberyn and Tyrion interacting together. And, you know, when your faves are together, magic just happens. And the last thing I want to add is the penultimate episode of that season, which is The Watchers on the Wall. Mm-hmm. 
and that's the Battle of Mance versus the Night's Watch, where you really see John demonstrate everything that he has learned, his humility plus leadership. He doesn't just take command. His brothers recognize that he is the person who can lead them in this moment, and they're the ones that make it happen. You know, you have the sacrifice of Grin and, and Pip, who I don't think, I think they are both still alive in the books yeah. right now. Yeah. But, but, I mean, you got the hurt of that. I mean, and what a dramatic death of them screaming the oath as that giant is charging towards them. And they still managed to kill the giant. Yep. Um, it was just, it was a really powerful, dark, and I don't mean lighting wise. This is one of the, this is one of the night battles where I was still able to see everything. So I don't know what happened between season four and season eight, but I thought it was beautifully shot. I mean, you had so many different things happening everywhere. You still felt as though you, you there was there was still really good continuity mm-hmm. in the cinematography and everything. And of course, you have the death of Ygritte. Thankfully, not at Jon Snow's hands, but she still dies in his arms. And it's just this this stunning, stunning moment. And of course, I think her her funeral pyre is also at the end of that episode. I can't remember if it's the next episode or that one. But I, I can't remember. But to that point, another one I think, listen, like I said before, I'm not going to die on the, I'm going to defend D&D Hill. But in my opinion, another smart adaptation choice to kill off. You know, a significant number of John's allies before we get yeah. to season five, and he then ends up getting killed by the Night's Watch, so that we don't have to sort of deal with the messiness of, you know, well, what was Grin doing? What was Pip doing? Like, they're fucking dead. Say, you know, like they're dead, so we don't even have to deal with that. Sam is off, you know, being Harry Potter, and Ed is off, I think, doing something, I think, wilding related. So it sort of makes it a cleaner kill when they do ultimately make the decision to kill him. I'm glad that we didn't sort of, as sad as Watchers of the Wall was, I'm glad that it did kind of clean up some of those potentially complicated plot points um, as we headed into season five and knew that John's death would be inevitable. So good choices, girl. Three and four, I fully co-signed. They were remarkable seasons. Remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. See, I do love some shit about the show. Ultimately, what I found in prepping for this, my issues aren't the show. My issues, I think, are mostly with the fandom. So, which is not, which to be very clear, having been part of, you know, multiple fans, I think Game of Thrones is probably the largest fandom in which I've been involved. But this kind of, this stuff happens. There's always fandom wank. I just think that personally i feel like i'm at capacity with it with this particular fandom but let's get back to the getting so yeah i mean we were just bitching about the fandom so do you have a particular season you want to bitch about i bet you we both hate the same season i think we do too do you want to go first should we say it together okay one two 
three, season five. Season eight. Oh, oh, my God. I kind of love that we have different seasons. Oh, my God. Girl. Oh, my God. You go ahead. You go ahead with season five. I need to hear this. I'm the basic bitch with the pumpkin spice latte over here hollering out season eight. It's so, I mean... Listen, I don't take issue with the criticisms of season eight, but as I reflected on this series, I I just realized that I think season five is probably the season that has the episodes that I rewatch the least. Um, I mean, I think as a general issue, I fucking hate Ramsey Bolton, and I, you know, I I'm not against a good villain, but there's a line and there's a limit. And I think Ramsey certainly pushed my line and my limits. So I, I take issue with season five because it's got, you know, the un, was it unbowed and broken, un, un, unbowed and bent unbroken. I, you know, I hate Sansa's assault. I don't like some of the directorial choices that were made, um, sort of the focusing on Theon. But that being said, I didn't want to watch her fucking assault t- play out either. So. I just hated all of that. That season also has the burning of Shireen, which I love sweet, precious BB Shireen, so I didn't love that either. Not a scene that I really do a lot on a rewatch. Like, I may watch that episode, but I tend to fast forward through that scene. Um, And so that, I mean, that was it for me. I mean, it was really those two things that kind of, for me, put it on the bottom of my list. I mean, I do want to say something positive. I did like the Stannis-John interactions, like, in the very, I think it's the first, the premiere episode, because, like I said, I, I don't know, two uptight dudes, like, being really uptight with each other is kind of my jam, so I did enjoy that. But, oh, I mean, Ramsey was just, like, a lot. And, and I guess it's because, like, we I just, like, I'd gotten past Joffrey and gotten that satisfying death and... And I know that, you know, Ramsey does ultimately meet a satisfyingly, a satisfying end. It just, I really fucking hate his, <laughs> his wedding night with Sansa from the depths of my soul. And that's without me making any sort of comments on the choice for him to assault her and what it means for her storyline. I just hate it. I fucking hated it. So, yeah, wow. se- season five is my least favorite um christine do you have thoughts on season five or do you want to move on to season eight you go i mean oh okay so season five was not among my favorites but i don't think it was among my least favorites either and i wouldn't say it it was average i think it was a good season like you had cersei cersei in a world without tywin So we really start to see Cersei fucking up and thinking she's so much smarter than everyone else and really seeing what kind of world she is trying to create when she has a little bit more power. You know, Mm -hmm. she's still queen mother, but it's really, you know, she, she still is, she's, she's got so much opportunity and so much rope to hang herself with that watching her hang herself to me was pretty entertaining you know Arya starts her life in bravos which i think was a great storyline and i loved seeing all of that 
So, so you've got, oh, you've got the great kill the boy speech mm-hmm. between John and Master Eamon, who he doesn't know is actually one of his relatives. Right. And it's just this beautiful scene and, and really a character shaping moment for John. He really takes this speech to heart and even, I think, quotes some of it back at the end of season eight to Tyrion when he talks about love being the death of duty. I mean, that might have been a different conversation, actually, or a different episode. But anyway, um, the season also shows, it starts to show that there's still a little bit of Theon in Reek. Mm-hmm. And seeing that, I think, was really beautiful. And, of course, you have one of my absolute favorite episodes that I could watch over and over again with Hard Home, which, for me, has all of the elements of Game of Thrones that I love, which is, like, the political machinations, a hint of the fantasy, and a great battle. It's, it literally has everything. So I think season five definitely has some fantastic moments. Again, it's not the season I picked for my favorite. It's also not the season I picked for my least favorite. But yeah, that's why I'm, I'm kind of shocked that you picked five. But I hear you, girl. I hear you, especially since the Dorn part of the storyline um, I hated everything about that, and yeah. that is a significant part of season five, which yeah. I just hated. I did not really love anything about the Sons of the Harpy, so Danny's storyline wasn't really giving me much until I think that's the season where Danny swoops in at the, like, at the, is that where she swoops in? Like, Tyrion is having that stupid drinking game with... Miss Sandy and Grey Worm, and they think they're doomed. Oh, yeah, no, that's season six, Mom. Oh, see? That's my favorite season. So, so, there you go. Even less for me to like about season five. Like, I listen, I love Hard Home. I think it's one of the greater battle episodes. I think as far as battle episodes, I probably still like Blackwater a little bit more. I mean, because you, because of the Cersei of it all, the stuff with Sansa, um, you know, Tywin coming in on a horse that literally shits on the floor at the end. I mean, all of that gives me life. But, yeah, for me, I just, the Sand Snakes, the Ramsey of it, I just, it was hard. I mean, for, here's what I'll say. It was hard for me to pick a season that I liked the least because I think, as you have pointed out, is that even in seasons that I may not have liked or may have had episodes that I just, I'm like, oh, fuck this. I don't want to ever watch this shit again. There's still good stuff. So it's really hard to, like, say, like, oh, you know, this is my least. But that's kind of where I landed because there are a few things that I dislike more than Sansa's wedding night to Ramsay is, is really, I mean... I, I love that she ultimately gets her revenge. I love his ending. But even to me, the ending to me doesn't sort of balance out how much I hated sort of that part and how it was directed, some of the choices and how it was 
sort of con- you know the 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 way that it was all filmed. I I just you know I, I'm not even gonna get into it because I I know what I don't want is our mentions to be filled with a bunch of well actually fucking people. But I said what I fucking said and I meant it. I I don't love, um, I I don't love that episode and that to me sort of brought the season down a little bit in my rankings. But you said season eight, Christine, so. I want to hear why that was your least favorite favorite season. I think it was the one season where I didn't rewatch every episode mm. every night until the next Sunday. Interesting. Like literally, I think starting from like season three, I would watch the show live, finish it, watch it again before I went to sleep, then wake up Monday, go to work, watch it at night before I went to bed, go to sleep, go to work, come home, watch it again before I went to sleep. Like, every episode was so fucking good. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't get enough of it until the next week. It was like the only way I could get to the following Sunday was just by reliving the previous episode. Season 8, that didn't happen. I mean, I think I watched one episode multiple times, and even then... I couldn't because it was so emotionally um, draining that I had to stop rewatching it. But I think some of the choices that they made for season eight, especially truncating it and making it only six episodes, mm-hmm. just for me makes it the absolute worst season by far, like by a mile. I didn't even have to think about answering this. It was just like, season eight? Mm. That's what it is. Some people just seem to act out of character or, like, just weren't thinking. Mm -hmm. Like, reconnaissance reconnaissance never happened. Right. You're going to fight the army of the dead. You're going to send a cavalry attack, and they can't fucking see shit. Like, literally, looking out into the black of night, you can't even see the army of the dead. You can't see how many people there are, and you're just going to send your cavalry out. Well, that and the inconsistency between... I'm certain that there is a line where they talk about how the army of the undead took out most of the Dothraki, and then somehow, magically, by the last episode, where um, Danny is giving her... Very sort of, you know, sort of kind of, I don't know, creepy speech uh, uh, about taking everybody out. Suddenly there's all these fucking Dothraki again. <laughs> yeah, and that was annoying as fuck. And then she's coming back to Dragonstone after the Great War. She's up in the fucking sky on a dragon. She's got the best visibility out of anybody. And all of a sudden, Rhaegal is shot out of the sky from a scorpion on a boat that she didn't see? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? You're on a fucking dragon. Aren't shouldn't shouldn't the whole point of view be to like look ahead of your navy and see what the fuck's going on? Mm-hmm. Like there was just so many bad military choices that didn't make any fucking sense. The whole like Dan and Dave in the post show <laughs> you know, commentary, no, whatever. What was she kind of forgot. So and so forgot. How the fuck do you forget that your own Greyjoy is fucking out there when he was fucking ass up all season seven? How do you forget? Anyway, that shit was just absolutely awful. The bells, listen, the bells, 
I'm gonna have to have a whole separate conversation on the bells and why I fucking hate that. And then the final episode and King Bran, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, listen, George promised us a bittersweet ending. I didn't expect it to be a huh ending. More like people that we love will die in order to reach a okay goal yep. or something like that. That's yep. kind of what I expected bittersweet meant. There just weren't enough consequences for me this season. Honestly, not enough people died. I'm going to just say it like that. Not enough people died. I think Bran ending up on the Iron Throne can make sense, but they didn't give us enough time for it to make sense. Danny roasting all of King's Landing makes sense, but it didn't make enough sense because they didn't give us enough time to really understand how her feelings and thought process had changed. <laughs> and, then, and then they made the choice to completely take us out of her point of view right. during the long night. Exactly. Um, not during the long night, sorry, during no, the bells. But during, like, during the bells, yeah. It's not funny, but it's just so ridiculous. I mean, it's listen, we we, we going to have to talk about the bells later because, spoiler, it's my least favorite episode of the whole fucking show, and we got to talk about it. But it was it, it just so many, so many things didn't make that much sense mm-hmm. because we weren't given the time to get there. It was just, it was too dramatic. Like, Jamie fucking Brienne and then leaving the very next night. Like, wait a second. <laughs> Left our good sis outside of her goddamn house code. Fuck that shit. In her house code. In her house code. Like, really, that's what D does to you? But anyway, it just... It didn't get the time and the treatment that it deserved. It really didn't. If we had a full 10 episodes, Game of Thrones would have gone out like gangbusters. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing for season seven. It's the same critique I have for season seven. I think the first four episodes of season seven are fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then the last three, they just blow through them so quickly that... Oh, I still God. maintain. Anyway, whatever. I still just a few thoughts on on season eight, but also to season seven. I I think that both of those seasons would have benefited from being ten episodes long. I think that's just a threshold yes. issue. Yes. Um, yes. I you know that I'm in agreement with you. I I think the reason why season eight doesn't rank as my lowest, despite the fact that I completely agree with all of your critical analysis of it is because I love Arya so much. Mm-hmm. And I think season eight was kind of a good season for my girl Arya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Between getting some tea, killing the Night King. Like, I mean, there was some good... So that's... And, and, and listen, when I tell you it's a slim margin between five and eight for me in terms of the ones that I like the least, it's a very slim margin. And I think it's probably the aria of it all that, that to me, propels 
eight over five, but it is by the narrowest of margins because I completely agree with everything um, that you've said. And I, I don't know that there's any more that I'm going to really be able to add to it because I want to let... I want to let your criticism stand because I think a lot of what I talked about at the outset in terms of how insufferable the fandom has become stems from these very sort of differing perspectives on season eight. So I, I, I don't want to take the air out of that. I don't, don't want to take the wind out of that. So let us... Just move on. Let's move on to our favorite episodes then. You sure? Because I feel like if you can rehabilitate some of season eight, I think representing that viewpoint would be great. Okay. Well, I, so I'll, I'll tell you as a preview, at some point we're going to talk about our favorite episodes. And one of my favorite episodes of the entire series is A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. So that was another reason why it was difficult for me to put that season as a whole, despite being in complete agreement with everything that you said about what could have maybe been better and what could have been improved upon about the season. I love that episode. And I got to tell you guys, and I'm going to repeat the sentiment very shortly when we get to the conversation about our favorite episodes is that I'm also very much a sucker for any season that gives me episodes where all I'm, where a good portion of my favorite people are all in the same place. And I think that's what I liked in some parts about season four is that the beauty and sort of the delightfulness of, of the Lion and the Rose episode where Joffrey dies is because you've got so many of your faves in one place and they're all giving you reaction shots and side eye and, and just, you know, shadiness. And I think that season eight does that as well. In a different way, you're not getting like side eye, but you're getting your faves in one place. And there's a fan service aspect of that that I found to be extremely enjoyable and, and to me, gives that season the edge over season five. Now, like I said, we're talking about the narrowest of margins between those two seasons. But you're putting all of my faves in one place. You're giving them these really satisfying scenes. So I like that about season eight. I think Night of the Seven Kingdoms does that, and does that very well in particular. Um, as someone who adores and loves Arya, and someone who has really sort of rejected this idea that she's been on this course to death ever since she went to the House of Black and White. They, the fact that she lives. Um, now, listen, I'm not I'm not a fan of Arya going off to be fucking Christopher Columbus. Fuck that. Discovering shit that don't need to be discovered. Don't really love that part of it. But, the you know, the aspect of her sort of being proactive and sort of, I want to fuck Gendry, because Gendry is fucking hot. Like, y'all know, I am here for female characters who like to fuck and are just unapologetic about it and own their sexuality. So, I love that. I know that that was sort of controversial for some people who had a hard time seeing Arya being sort of this grown figure who wanted to fuck someone, but I'm like, we have watched Arya kill how many fucking people? The bitch killed how many fucking Freys? And y'all got an issue with her wanting to fuck now? Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, maybe if you had an issue with her killing all the Freys 
and you had an issue with her wanting a bank injury, okay, fine. That that's on you, but to me, I I loved her sort of, you know, sort of being proactive about that. I love her dynamic, everything about her dynamic with the hound. And I love their scene where they talk about sort of why the hound is there and why he's fighting. I love the scene where like Davos is watching Arya as she's like kicking ass and taking names. And Davos is like, shit, I need to adopt this little girl too. Like, Shireen, who? Like, okay, I'm not saying Davos, you know, forgot the sweet BB Shireen. But y'all know Davos love him. A young, He likes to take a young girl under his wing. He likes to adopt the kids. And so I feel like I love that moment. I hate that we never really got any payoff from Davos actually seeing how, how much of a badass that Arya was. And there's certainly things in season 8 that I wish we'd gotten more of. Like, I wish that we had gotten more. I hate to say this. It hurts my soul to even say this. But because I love Arya, and I think right behind Arya, I love John. But it would be disingenuous, and I think just wrong for me to admit that I think maybe the best Stark reunion might have been John and Sansa. And that kind of hurts my feelings because yeah. there was nothing I wanted more was in a more satisfying reunion between Arya and John, and I don't think it had the same because of the timing and where they were and what they had been through. I just think that the John Sansa reunion it just hit different, as the kids say, it just hit me different, you know. And and I and if if I had a critique about season eight, and I think this goes to the whole like when you cut a season down and you're only getting what is it six episodes. You know, not being able to get more interaction between John and Arya and sort of... I'm not saying they got to sit down and, and, and exchange their traumas, which, frankly, I would have been fine with that, too. But I would have just liked more of them interacting with each other. With each other. I would have loved, like, a moment for John to be like, holy fucking shit, kids, you killed the fucking Night King. Like, I just... Those, like... Since we're, we're leading into the fan service, like, give me that fan service. So in that sense, I joined into the critique of season eight. I can understand why some people were disappointed that John wasn't ultimately the one that killed the Night's King. But my goodness, says, are you killing him? I'm all on board on that, and I love it. And and I'm like, these are the fan service moments that I like. I like her training to me. I'm like, this is all full circle. I feel like Jacques and Hagar was somewhere off in the distance, like, that's my baby, and I'm proud. Like, I I loved it, but it's easy for me to say that because I love Arya. I really just love her with my entire heart. So that said, those are the reasons why, like, I still sort of elevate season eight, and I say this to someone who had a really hard fucking time viewing, what is it, The Long Night? I had the problems that most people had because maybe I haven't upgraded my TV so I couldn't see shit that was happening. And you know what? That was one of the episodes that actually leaked in its entirety before it came out. And I remember even thinking, yeah, like, this shit is dark as fuck. Trying to watch it on the bootleg and then getting to, like, the big screen and still being like, this is really hard to look at. But okay, you know, you adjust your settings. It's all good. Whatever. But as you so you know, aptly mentioned, Christine, like, they've done these nighttime battles before and, and managed to do them without that issue, so it kind of makes it a little bit more difficult for me to sort of accept all of the apologists about, you know, um, the long night in season eight, but yeah, I just, 
think in terms of the fan service, certain characters that I felt invested in, certain relationships, the Brainy, you know, the Jamie Brienne of it all, um, as a whole, I can't say that it's my favorite season for sure. I mean, like I said, I, it eight is probably right above five for me if I'm ranking the whole series in total, but it's why I think when I sort of contemplating which of these seasons I dislike the most, I think it's why five ended up being a little bit lower than eight. Fair enough. But I do feel like I've spoiled like all of my answers going forward. So I don't think it's going to be any surprise when people f- listen to who my favorite character is, but whatever you guys did this with Pose, you knew who my fucking favorite character was then. <laughs> Cause I'd been talking about her all episode. Um, Let's get back on the positive side of things. What was your favorite episode? Or, if you've got more than one, serve it up. So, I do have an absolute favorite episode, and I do have an absolute favorite character, and we're on the same page. So, you already spoiled yours, but my favorite, even though I hate this whole fucking season... My favorite all-time episode of Game of Thrones is from season eight, and it's episode two, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So I actually re-watched today A Night of the Seven Kingdoms and Hard Home mm. because I was like, my gut was saying A Night of the Seven Kingdoms is my favorite episode, but is it my favorite episode just because it's more recent? Let me watch Hard Home again and watch A Night of the Seven Kingdoms and see which one is the bigger gut punch. Because for me, that's really what it's about. Like, which one am I more emotionally invested in? And even though I've seen each episode a million and one times, I still find myself either sobbing, Mm -hmm. which is the case of A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, or screaming at the television if you drop your sword one motherfucking time again Jon Snow like mm-hmm. <laughs> which was the case with Hard Home and feeling the anxiety build in each episode even though I've seen it a million and one times like it's still there for both of them mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's got to be a night of the seven kingdoms which is written by Brian Cogman directed by David Nutter total dream team and to me, the episode gets back to Game of Thrones basics. One, they slowed it the fuck down. Yeah. It is one day. It is one day at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. It starts with Jamie's quote-unquote trial by Daenerys and ends with the arrival of the army of the dead at Winterfell. And it's all about how each person chooses to spend what may be their last their night. last night yeah. and it's all of these small interactions you know you've got some really great reunions like Tyrion and Jamie you've got Arya and the Hound they finally have like a conversation and then you've got you've got Tyrion and Podrick coming together again and then you have some new pairings like Danny and Sansa. Mm-hmm. Sansa being a badass bitch and being like, what about the North? What's going to happen at the end? And then you've got Tormund 
putting his true self on display to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got these really emotional moments and really deep gut laughing moments as well. It's super serious, super loving, but super fucking funny at the same time. So I loved everything about this episode from top to bottom. We learn what the goal of the night king is and that's to have an endless night anytime i learn more about the mythology of the show or of the world of the show mm-hmm. i'm happy we also have like acknowledgement of the dead you know there's talk of ned there's talk of tywin they don't talk about shireen but there's a little girl who reminds both davos and Gilly of Shireen who helped teach both of them to read right. and they have no idea that they have this similar connection but they both have this moment with this little girl who wants to fight and she ends up saying you know I'll go defend the crypts or whatever and it's just so sweet and you've got John and Ed and Sam coming together as the last remnants of the Night's Watch and remembering Gren and Pip mm-hmm. and all of their fallen brothers I just thought it was so so lovely all of these one-on-one or you know threesome conversations that is the bread and butter of the brilliance of game of thrones and of course the scenes of everyone in front of the fire getting drunk on their last night Tyrion, jamie davos brianne podrick and tormund laughing at each other joking about how well, maybe they'll live. Most people think not. And the scene that makes me sob each and every fucking time I watch it, and it's where the episode gets its title from, is Jamie knighting Brienne. Mm-hmm. It all kicks off with her homie lover friend. <laughs> Fuck tradition. Like, if I was a king, I'd knight you ten times over. And Jamie being like, you don't need to be a king to knight someone. All you need is another knight. And when he said that, I remember watching for the first time, I was like, oh my god! It's gonna happen! It's, this is gonna happen! And, oh, that moment of Brienne being acknowledged mm-hmm. by one of her peers who is known across the world being like, you are worthy yeah. of being a knight. Something she has dreamt about, but was playing like she didn't ever want. Mm-hmm. And Podrick looked at her like, bitch, why are you lying? We know you want this. It just, that moment of her being acknowledged by Jamie, someone who she respects and loves and kind of looks up to, I think, mm-hmm. as a peer, as a fellow now knight, was just oh so good every time he says kneel lady brianne Mm. i start to cry immediately and i think spoiler alert our next episode might be on fleabag so we know the command to kneel is like a very emotional one yes yes it is that and jenny's song is just oh high in the holes of the kings who are gone Jenny would dance with her ghost. The ones she had lost and the ones she had found. 
and the ones who had loved her the most, the ones who'd been gone for so very long, she couldn't remember the names. They spun her around on the damp old stones, spun away all her sorrow and pain. And she never wanted to leave, 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 never to leave. Those scenes just do it for me each and every time. And, but then, of course, we got to end with John being John and telling Danny about his lineage Ugh. at the worst possible yeah. time. Like, God like, oh, damn! This episode is taking me on a journey. It is taking me on an emotional journey. It's like, I yeah, know it is... Ned ain't your daddy, but God damn, don't you Ned it the fuck up. <laughs> oh. So I think Brian Cogman said that he wanted this episode to be a love letter to the characters of Game of Thrones, and I thought he wrote a beautiful love letter. Mm-hmm. I felt like he wrote it to me, too. So kudos to him. It, it was. And I had to... A Night of the Seven Kingdoms is one of mine. I cannot add to any of your wonderful commentary. I love it for every reason that you said. Did you mention Arya and Gendry bang in that episode? Yes, that is. I mean, as someone who is all about sex positivity and consent and all of that, the fact that we had this consensual sexual moment initiated Mm. by a woman. Mm. Ugh! I lived for it. And I loved her, I loved her reasoning. Like, I haven't experienced this. This might be my last night on Earth. You are experienced because I just interviewed you. That conversation was amazing. Yes, people, get your partner's sexual history before you engage with them. They get their sexual history. It's nothing wrong with knowing what you want and going after it and being assertive about exactly. it, especially my ladies. Like... Mm-hmm. If, mm. if you see something you want, like, I mean, within boundaries, right? I'm not, like, saying, like, shoot your shot with a married man or a married woman or something, like, you know, a married person generally or something inappropriate. But Unless they're poly. Yes, unless they're a poly and it's that, you know, and it's ethically, it's what's up. But if it's not that kind of situation and you don't know, then, okay, maybe I'm not endorsing that. But otherwise, I'm, in, I'm just generally endorsing women going after what the fuck they want and getting it and getting it how they fucking want it. So... That being said, I can't add anything else. I completely agree. My other fave, and I think it's sort of thematically similar to why I love the King of the Seven, uh, a Knight, rather, of the Seven Kingdoms, is I love the Lion and the Rose. And it's not just the fact that Joffrey dies. And I mean, Joffrey dying is delightful. It is good. It's satisfying. It's amazing. No, but I am just really, I've said this before, I am a sucker for when you take a lot of people I like and you put them in one space and you've got some of them that are at like the forefront of the action and then you've got some of them just serving face. 
And that's what I kind of love about the Lion and the Rose because you've got you've obviously got like Joffrey Sansa, Marjorie, Elena, um, to name a few are sort of at the forefront. Tyrion are at the forefront of the action. But there are some like quiet gems in that episode, like Loris and um Oberyn given sort of the lingering eye to each other, like, hey, what's up? Yes. Like, mm, I'll see you too, what's up? I'm here for that kind of action. I also love that, like, Varys, like, every time you see Varys, he just looks sick of everyone's shit. Just, like, side-eye, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, ugh, just rolling his eyes, giving side-eye. So it's a really good, like, in terms of reaction shots, it might be one of Varys's best episodes because Varys is just like, listen, y'all on some bullshit, but I'm here anyway because I know I can't not be here, so I'm here. But if I'm going to be here, you know, you're going to get these side-eyes. You're going to get the side-eyes package with it. So it's just, to me, it's, it's just a really great episode. I mean, I've talked about sort of, the episode already in terms of the larger conversation of my favorite seasons i mean it just doesn't get better than joffrey fucking dying after all of the torment that he caused in so many people's lives like it's just so deeply satisfying to watch his really gruesome painful horrible death but i mean no seriously that scene between cersei and brienne and all the tension there and like cersei's still undermining our good sis marjorie when marjorie's like we're gonna give the leftovers to the poor and and cersei's like no we're not and i will fucking kill you if you undermine me like i just it's just a good i like you know what i think a lot of things i've been thinking about this a lot lately but i think a lot of sort of what I like in television, the things that make me sort of return back to them, I think a lot of it goes back to sort of the soap opera aspect of it all. And I think that The Lion and the Rose is very heavy on sort of the soap opera kind of aspects of it um, in terms of not only putting all of your faves in one place, but you're also getting, like they are giving you some serious reaction shots. So you're not sitting there thinking, I wonder what Varys is thinking. Oh nope, you're gonna get Varys. You're gonna you're gonna know exactly what Varys is feeling about it because you're gonna get a reaction shot. And I think the soap operas tend to be good. I think some of my, from a nostalgia perspective, when I was very young, my great aunt used to um, babysit me a lot and. You know, like twelve thirty, her stories came on, baby. So we go watch. We're watching Young and the Restless. We're watching God of Light. We're watching Bold and Beautiful. We're watching As the World Turns. And I think as I get older, I'm starting to realize how much that influences. I think my taste and and sort of what I am drawn to. It's it's sort of how I can continue to watch shows that I know are terrible. It's like how I keep watching Empire because Empire is like a full on soap opera and that's sort of what continues to draw me in even though I'm like I can objectively say like oh my god this writing is terrible even though these actors are giving their best. This is crazy this show makes no sense but like that's kind of what a soap opera is and, and to me the Lion and the Rose gives me sort of the soap opera antics that I love um, in a television episode and why it ranks among my favorites. But I am with you. I think if I had to nail it down to um, just one episode, it'd probably be A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Because 
us know with the discussion, Christine. Tell us which episode you like the least of the series. Well, I think I already alluded to this or came right out and said it, but I fucking hate the bells, mm. which is the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. Now, historically, the penultimate episode is where you get the most emotionally wrecked, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when we were talking about Pose, the beach trip was the penultimate episode of season two, and I was nervous the whole time because I was like, shit is about to go down because I have been trained by Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. The shit is going to go down in the penultimate episode, and it did. But not to the extent that, like, I thought it was going to. Anyway, that's not even, like, I don't. I can't even tell you what my main problem with this episode is. It's just that I have so many issues with it. So, first of all, it opens with Varys being messy as fuck. <laughs> yes. Since when is Varys a messy motherfucker? Since when? I just, I get upset when a character doesn't act in a similar manner to how they have acted before. Right. So Varys being messy is very out of character. I don't even think he was at the point of desperation where he needed to be messy. But he's literally writing shit. He's not using his network of little birds mm-hmm. to pass on messages. He's like writing a letter about Jon Snow's true heritage. Varys writing shit down and sending that shit out and having incriminating evidence in existence is so not like Varys. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, my eyebrow was raised from the very fucking beginning. Like, what is going on? And then Tyrion turns on the one person he said he trusted in the whole world. Yes. And tells Daenerys that Varys is doing all this shit. I mean, Varys straight up told Jon the second Jon got off the boat, like, yo, you got to come in and do something because shit is crazy and you got to take the Iron Throne because this shit is nuts. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, you were going to Jon Snow, like the most loyal motherfucker in the Seven Kingdoms, who is her nephew lover friend, and you just gonna come out like this, like no vetting, no like testing to see where shit is, and just come out like that? Like, he was just, he was too messy. He was too messy, and make no damn sense. Then you've got Tyrion deciding to free Jaime. Mm -hmm. Totally in character. Makes sense. It's like payment for Jamie springing him from the black cell back when his trial was not going the way it was supposed to and poor Oberyn died and Tyrion gets sentenced to death. But Jamie's in there talking like he didn't try to save the people at King's mm-hmm. Land all those years ago and has this sullied reputation of being a Kingslayer when he killed the king in order to save a million fucking yep. people. And then he's like, fuck him. Fuck King's Landing. I don't give a shit. Like, I just, I did not understand any of that. I didn't understand that writing choice at all. 
Then there was also the Jamie Euron fight, which seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. And Euron being super excited to die as the person who killed Jamie Lannister when, yes, he delivered what may have been a mortal wound, but really is a brick that killed Jamie <laughs> right. Lannister. I think the gravest sin from this episode is taking us out of Danny's point of view when she decides to burn down King's. Oh, absolutely. So everybody, I think, called this a heel turn. And it didn't have to be. It really didn't have to be. Like, if we had had, again, more time this season where we had more of Danny's point of view once Cersei chose to kill Cassandai, mm-hmm. this moment would have made more sense. But even if you're going to give us only six episodes and the limited time we have with Danny and the limited amount of time we have between the execution and the bells ringing, you gotta give us more time of Danny's point of view as she's doing this. Like, yes, it was cool that she literally becomes mm-hmm. a dragon, right? So she has fully embraced her Targaryenness in this moment. It is all fire and blood coming from her. But it was so disjarring. I think the people who really love Danny probably felt betrayed in this moment. And for me, even as a person who's not a Danny stan, I was just like, where did this come from? Like, yeah, she's a colonizer. Yeah, she's a little bit quick to use the fire to exact what she believes to be Mm -hmm. justice. But even this seemed to be like a little too far. And again, I am good with Danny doing this. And I could see how this makes sense with her character in terms of her arc, but we just needed a little bit more time to yeah. get there. I'm just, I don't know, man. There were just so many fucking things about this episode that really upset me. But the thing that upset me the most is probably one of the things that is the most remarkable about the episode. And I mean, it literally upset me. So, I believe the episode was directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who is one of the most brilliant directors that Game of Thrones has ever utilized. He is really famous for making battle episodes look amazing. He made the sack of King's Landing so fucking Mm -hmm. realistic and so reminiscent of a war-torn area that has been bombed. Mm -hmm. that it triggered my 9-11 PTSD. So seeing the dust and the buildings crumbling and people caked in dust from head to toe and they're like stunned with their reactions. They're, they're, They're like fleeing for their lives and then having like these stunned reactions was so much like Mm -hmm. 9-11 that after I saw the episode and processed everything, I had the first panic attack of Mm. my life. Like, was on the floor. I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. I literally thought I was going to die. It was intense. So it is literally the one episode of Game of Thrones that I have never 
rewatch. Yeah. I think now that I know that it has that trigger, I can watch it. But I really don't want to. I really don't want to. Yeah. So, yeah, those those are my issues with the bells. I probably have more, but that's all I could remember from the one time I watched it. No, I – listen, I don't have anything to add to that. I think from a live tweeting perspective, I remember <laughs> – I remember having some fun at that moment. It was like, oh, my God, girl, she about to burn this motherfucker down. Like, just having that moment, like, when mm. you realize, like – Holy shit. Now, and it came as a surprise, but I think it came as a surprise for the wrong reason. Like, I'm not saying that we should have seen it, that we need to see every single move coming from a mile away. But I, like I said, I don't have any. I'm just in complete alignment with you about how the episode was handled, particularly taking us out of Danny's headspace. And we're going to talk a little bit later about sort of what's next but in terms of the books, it's probably one of the few areas of curiosity that I have because I think that one of the things that George does so well is sort of getting you really into that headspace. And I really want it to be in her headspace. I mean, we we obviously have the episode to leave us to our assumptions and conclusions about sort of what happened. And then you have sort of the post-episode commentary. But... I want to see how George handles that. Um, my, and, and I don't really have a lot to say about it. My least favorite episode is Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Fuck that episode. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I, I, I think it's self-evident why I hate that episode. I've talked about it already. I did not, I'm sure there are, there are like, you know, a countless number of people that will sort of, want to debate me about why it's okay to have a sexual assault story be part of someone's arc and make them stronger and blah, 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 blah. And that's fine. You can feel like that. It's not really a topic on which I really want to have a debate, but it's not even so much the choice to make it happen. It's also how it was filmed. And like I said, I think at that point, I just really was at peak Ramsey exhaustion. So there's just, I just fucked that episode. It's just like, it's just my least favorite, guys. I just don't like it. I don't like it for a number of reasons. And I think that Sansa could certainly have ended up being sort of this powerful, strong figure that she was and being queen of the North. Without that, I, I think that she had been through a lot of shit up until that point. I'm just going to say it. Like, I'm not, you know, it's not that I'm trying to sit here and dictate to writers, like, what they should and what they should not do. But what I'm saying is, I didn't like it. And that's my prerogative. And I did not like that episode. And I did not like that episode in particular. I mean, I will say that it was quite it was quite jarring to have this juxtaposition of Sansa looking so, so beautiful in her wedding wardrobe outfit. It wasn't like a gown. It was because it was cold outside. And it was sort of a, a Winterfell sort of garb. But... Nonetheless, she looked beautiful, and she just looked so beautiful, as Bran, went, you know, eventually awkwardly points out, like, you looked so beautiful that night, or whatever the fuck it is that he says, you know, her looks so goddamn gorgeous on the day that one of the ugliest things in her lifetime happens to her, that juxtaposition isn't lost on me, and I don't necessarily critique it, but I'm just saying as a viewer, didn't like the choice. Didn't like the choice to focus on Theon's face. But that being said, as some of the... I liked it! 
folks like to point out, like, well, whoa, you just don't like it because you would have done it differently. Well, yeah, I probably would have. I'm not exactly sure what I would have done differently, but I may not have made that moment about Theon's reaction. I don't know that I would have even done that moment. I mean, if we're keeping it a buck. So, I don't like it. It's my least favorite episode. I don't really have any more to say about it that I haven't already said sort of in the context of of why I did not like season five. But when I say I don't like season five, that's, that's, I mean, it's it. It's that episode. I think a lot of people would agree with you. I, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain that this is the episode that won the great debate at the last Con of Thrones of the world. Yeah. And, yeah. So... Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are in the same boat with you. Yeah. But since since you didn't really get to go that much into your least favorite episode, why don't you tell us about your favorite major character? Okay, something I want to talk about. And sorry if people are looking for more. I just, I really did not like Sansa's assault. And I just feel like it's a topic that can be very triggering. And so that's another reason why I don't really want to, like, we know what happened. I hated it. I hated it as a story choice, so I just don't really know that I can sort of offer anything more compelling or more sort of, you know, thoughtful about it other than hated it, didn't agree with it, didn't like it. Um, Apologies, I know that I can be much more outspoken on other topics, but that's really all that I have to offer on, and I don't want to sort of over, you know, sort of overspeak on something just for the sake of talking about it, so... Indeed, I would prefer to talk about some things that I do love, which is my favorite major character. And I've got a major character, and then I've got a runner-up. So I'm talk about my, my favorite major character, and I don't think this should come as any surprise to anyone, but it's Arya. I mean, I just love that little tiny murder baby, and I'm just so proud of my little murder baby. And I'm so happy that she lived. I just love her. I, I mean... Listen, I don't know if it's the Scorpio in me. I don't know if it's maybe my own sort of personal experiences. But I just find her vengeance (laughs) deeply satisfying to watch as a viewer. And, you know, I I think that's all. It always goes back for me to John, who originally was, I think, my favorite major character of the show. I, I connected with John initially as someone who happens to be a bastard and who has experienced teasing as a bastard. So I felt like a lot of sort of how I felt about characters certainly revolved around how they interacted with John and how they treated John. And I mean, I can, you could probably guess my least favorite character based on that alone. But long story short, I mean, I, it's one of the things that I loved about Arya is because in a family where there was a lot of awkwardness and tension, she's, you know, one of the siblings who just loved and embraced John. So that's sort of where it started. But of course, over time, it evolves as she goes through these very traumatic events from, you know, being present. She doesn't see it, but being present when her father is killed and you know, watching, um, oh my god, what is his name? It's, it's the first mentor in her journey, um, Yorin. Yorin, you know, watching him get cut down after he gives her the gift of the list, the list is everything, 
and and just sort of you know just looking at this little tiny human who's been through so much shit and still made it and still and still thrived and survived nonetheless I just love her with my entire heart. Now, I want to say all that to say is that there are a lot of valid ways of survival. Arya speaks to me because it's not even when people hurt me, but it's when people hurt people I love. I want to fuck them up. I want to get on my dragon and burn some shit down. I want to go all water fray on a motherfucker, and I want to feed you your goddamn sons. Like, that's sort of the rage that I feel when people that I love are wronged. It, it speaks to me. It, it is very much my shit. And, and I, Note to self, don't piss off Jocelyn. And don't hurt the fucking people I care about. That's the greater point. Don't fuck with them, and we don't have a problem. Generally speaking, you fuck with me... I'm not going to forget it, but I can probably, like, move on and be like, okay, you do you, I do me. But when you start fucking with people I love, that's just a whole nother thing. Like, yeah, no, then I want your goddamn head. Yeah, I do. I do. And so that's why I loved Arya, because she sort of encompassed all that. But I, I want, going back to the very beginning of this discussion, when we talked about sort of the fandom discourse... One of the things I don't love is how, and I think this is from Arya fans, and I think it's from Sansa fans. I think you're all culpable of it. It's like you don't have this ability to talk about one without doing it in the context of the other. And I just want to say from the bottom of my soul, I love Arya, and I'm not thinking about anybody else in the context of why I love her and why she speaks to me and why sort of her journey resonates with me and why she is my favorite character, why I love the fact that she fucking killed the Night King. I love everything about it. It frustrates me in the fandom when I, I, it saddens me that people who love Sansa feel like some people that love Arya, and there are probably some people that love Arya that are guilty of this, feel like that somehow loving Arya means that you are discounting or not appreciating the fact that you know you can be strong and it doesn't mean that you're killing the Night's King you can be strong and it doesn't mean that you're feeding Walder Frey his fucking kids like there are so many different displays of strength that I think the show gives us and I think that are, are out there for us to relate to and I don't think that I think that you can love Arya and do so without sort of bashing or criticizing or calling into question other characters, including her own fucking sister. Like, one of my least favorite parts of, I guess it's probably season, I'm trying to think, whatever season it is when Arya makes it back to Winterfell, I hate every fucking thing about Winterfell, and I got to the point where I just fast-forwarded through it because I'm like, these two girls have been through so much, I just want them to talk about what the, they've been through, and I want them to, like, you know, like, form, like, Voltron and fuck everybody up, and unfortunately, it wasn't really written that way, and I think that you should be able to write conflict between two siblings without it sort of evolving into this really toxic discourse in the fandom, but one of the things that sort of frustrates me in the fandom is that 
I feel a lot of times when people want to express, like, I love Arya, then it's like, I have to also be met with the whole, okay, but Sansa is great too. And it's like, yeah, she's fucking great too. Nobody said she wasn't great. And no one said she wasn't strong. And no one said she wasn't a bad bitch. And no one said that she wasn't worthy. And no one said she was terrible. At least from my perspective, I get that there are probably people in the fandom that indulge in that, and I'm sorry that they do that, but I also very much don't want to be part of that discourse either. I want to be over here and enjoy my fave without thinking about it to the point that it's to the detriment of another strong character on the show who's also had a very compelling character arc and a very interesting journey and story and who has survived despite all of the odds against them like I would never like it that to me is not enjoyment of a character and I'm, I, I am sorry and I am I find it unfortunate that people feel like they have to sort of go there because that's where the discourse goes but I just want to say that that is not my ministry I feel like my ministry is solely about Arya and that little teeny tiny badass who could have been cut down so many times who, like, you know, gave shit, all of the shit, and, you know, was always with the shit, always with the smoke, and gave it to people that wronged her, that wronged her family, but also, like, you know, really wasn't here for people who were wronging people generally. That is kind of my jam. And and so she is, I think, ultimately, as I reflect on this series, my favorite major character. I've had some... It's kind of rotated across the course of time, but I think where I land is with Arya, and I think it also goes back to what we talked about in terms of the sex positivity. I mean, not only do I love a badass who's going to set you right if you've done them or the people they love wrong, but I love a woman who is, like, taking control of their sexuality and who goes after what they want and who's just a badass. So, I love Arya. She's my favorite. My runner-up is Jon. As I mentioned to me, a lot in the beginning for me revolved around sort of Jon and sort of that, that initial attachment, understanding like what it's like to be teased or treated differently because you're a bastard. And, and so it's always endeared me to him. I will say that I felt like I had less use for him as a character as, as we get to the end of the series. I'm like, meh. Uh, you know, I still love him, but it's like, it is what it is. It's whatever. Um, so where I land is with Arya, but I still always love John. And I think that if you want to figure out who I don't like on the series, you could probably look at the people who don't like John or who have mistreated John and lived to do so. You could probably assume I don't like them. I feel like with Arya, the, one of the things that's deeply satisfying about the writing for her character is the people who tried to do my sis wrong generally didn't live to tell the tale. So, I don't, you know, not going to be putting them on it of my on my least favorite character list, but I've ranted enough about Arya and John. Christine, who is your favorite major character? So, I love the fact that you brought up the fact that people have a tendency to either get upset and start talking about Sansa if you speak positively about Arya and vice versa. Like, that shit doesn't make any sort of sense to me whatsoever. You could love one. You could love both of them. I mean, listen, to that, 
Arya is my favorite character. I could wax poetic about her for forever. I'm not going to add much to what Jocelyn said um, other than to say that I strongly identify with characters who buck gender norms. Mm-hmm. And that is why I connected with Arya from the very first episode. And the fact that, you know, she gets associated with death and vengeance. But to me, she was always about justice because she was never about just killing people for killing people. Like she, she always had to have a reason. These people had to deserve to die. And if they didn't, she couldn't be about that life. She could also forgive people. She could understand where folks were coming from. Her list was never static. It changed. She took people off as she added folks or just took people straight off. Like, I love all of that about her. Justice is extremely my shit. So she wants to go and fuck stuff up. I'm all for it. But at the same time, there has to be a damn good reason for it. And she'll change her mind on that stuff and not be blind to changing circumstances. Always love that about her. But my second runner-up is Sansa. Like, Sansa is my other favorite character. And I was really privileged to be a panelist on a Con of Thrones panel that discussed Arya and Sansa. And all four of us were like, yo, they are two sides of the same coin. They're similar. They're very different. But what we're not going to do is put down one to bring up the other and vice versa. Amen. And we're not going to allow the audience to do the same shit. So I'm going to put a link to the sh- I'm going to put a link to that panel in the show notes so you could get more of the Arya Sansa takes. But Sansa is one of my favorite characters even though I don't necessarily identify with the folks who are very feminine. Now, Sansa also proves in the show that you don't have to level up with magic powers mm-hmm. or be fierce at fighting. If you're intelligent and astute, also helps to be born into a super powerful family, and you're willing to play the political game, you could fucking end up queen in the north. So she has gone from naive self-centered little girl which let's face it we've all had that moment we've all had that period of time in our life some of us never grew out of it she could go from that to quite frankly a victim mm-hmm. grow to being a survivor mm-hmm. and again that progress not always linear right we'll go back and forth that shit is real you will go back and forth to being someone who is thriving and very strong, willing to stand up for her beliefs, willing to go toe-to-toe with the most powerful people in the country. She knows how to make people devoted to her. She's genuine with that devotion, too. She understands that people need to love her, but she genuinely loves her people in return. Not even necessarily in return. She loves her people, period. The way she went to bat for the North when Danny was trying to march everybody south immediately after the long night shows that 
not only does she have political sense, like, hello, a tired soldier is not as strong as a well-rested soldier. That's just fucking common sense. But she's also willing to take care of her people. She doesn't see them as pawns. She sees them as people. In her last night, and what she thought might have been her last night, she wasn't in the castle, away from everybody. She was out with the troops in the open, sharing a meal with Theon and everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's just the kind of person that she is. And I love that type of leader. I really do. I connected with her so strongly with her leadership style, with her empathy. Empathy, I think, is a quality that is very easy for women to have. It's kind of like what we're trained in as part of the stupid-ass societal norms that are expected of us and ingrained in us. We're supposed to be nurturing and all of that. But I still think it's a beautiful quality to have. Empathy is really powerful, and she is a great example of how it can be used and utilized to your advantage. Agreed. I I do want to say that I don't think Sansa... Listen, I completely agreed with her bringing up the fact that the troops were tired, but if we're keeping it a buck... I don't think Sansa ever had any intention of having the Northern Army join Danny's army <laughs> in her great crusade. I just I don't think it was a I don't think it was a good faith gesture. I don't think it was a good faith discussion. And I don't knock Sansa for that. I just think that's be, her being smart and being savvy and being like doing this shit but being like okay but girl I'm gonna give you sort of a reasonable reason for why we're not gonna do it but ultimately in my mind I'm thinking we ain't gonna never do it and I mean that's kind of what I like about Sansa because Sansa is I think probably I have to give it some more thought but just in the moment I think the only character who survives to the end who's actually playing the game and I respect the hustle um now, I will say I kind of hated the writing between Sansa and Danny um, a lot because I just felt like there were moments where it's like, this isn't me knocking Sansa as a character or knocking Danny as a character, but there were moments where I just felt like, why can't we have a more upfront conversation here? Like, so I think back to when Yara and Theon came before Danny and Yara was very upfront about the fact that. You know, men had been dominating the Iron Islands, that, you know, her uncle had basically usurped her dad and usurped her for entitlement to to leading the Iron Islands. And they seemed to come to an accord. And, and I just never understood why Sansa and Danny could not have a similar conversation where Sansa put her cards on the table and said, look, sis, we've been through a lot of shit up here with you motherfuckers down south, and we don't trust you, and, you know, it's it's complicated. I don't, I just never understood why the two of them couldn't really, like, have the same frank discussion that we had literally seen Danny have with Yara, and, and it just felt like tension for the sake of tension because we need this tension in the final season because Sansa's going to end up Queen of the North and I kind of, I feel like maybe if we had had a few episodes that might have played out a little bit differently and I certainly wish that it had because I I don't think that Danny would have been necessarily adverse to 
Sansa's perspective and where she was coming from, but we never quite really understood. I mean, I guess maybe it's the Littlefinger influence of it all, but, like, we never really understood why Sansa wouldn't just fucking say, like, bitch, you don't trust her. Just fucking say why you don't goddamn trust her. Like, put your fucking cards on the table, or put some of them on the table, but we don't, what I don't want is a pissing match, and, and I'm just gonna say, I just generally don't like pissing matches between any characters, whether they be male, female, whatever, um, that, that was a frustration, I wish that we could have had, I'm not saying that Sansa and Danny needed to get along, I just wish that we had had more, I guess, meaningful and more substantive dialogues between these two women who had both survived so much and who both I think had a pretty decent grasp of how like the game is played it I'm not saying that it's not necessarily it's not it makes sense that maybe you know because of their experiences when they get together they're both kind of holding their cards very close to their chest but goddamn, I would have just loved it like I just think if we had had just a few more episodes maybe we get to a point where they finally have a rational conversation between the two and kind of realize that it's not necessarily that they are adverse to each other but they've got you know, experiences that they, that, that I think that the other could relate to. I just, I, I hate, I hate it. I hate it all of that. I hate it. I didn't hate the Sansa Danny stuff as much as I hated the Arya Sansa stuff, you know, with the whole, oh, before Littlefinger gets, you know, gets dealt with. But I want it, I want it more from that. But I understand what I got given the limited amount of episodes I think it could have been better had we had more episodes I just want to push back a little bit on two of the claims that you made so I think in the conversation that they had during I think it was during a night of the seven kingdoms Mm -hmm. um Jorah I believe tells Danny that she and Sansa should have a talk and like be on a good page and shit. Like, he has two pieces of advice for her. One is to forgive Tyrion, and the other we don't hear. But the very next scene is Danny walking into um, a room where Sansa is talking to Jan Royce, and Danny asks for a private audience with Sansa. Mm-hmm. And during that conversation, Sansa says, you know, what happens after we beat the army of the dead? So... Well, not just that. What happens after we beat the army of the dead, the North marches down with you, we defeat Cersei, what happens next? So I think in that moment, Sansa is saying like, yeah, we're going to come down with you. And being Ned Stark's daughter, she did fuck up a little bit in promising Jon that she would not tell his secret about his lineage. But I feel like, she would have honored what she was saying in that moment had she gotten the right answer from Danny. You know what I mean? Not that she had already committed to herself that she wasn't going to commit or or she was going to try and chalk talk John out of committing northern troops to Danny's cause and then, you know, Danny's like, "Well, I'll take the iron throne and blah blah blah." And then Sansa's like, "But what of the north?" And they they have a little bit of a back and forth, and Sansa is clear to the point where Danny's like, "I can't even touch your hand anymore, bitch. We we done having our sisterly moment 
where, you know, we're trying to bond over love of the same man and all that shit. Sansa's like, what of the North? Like, we're going to make all this sacrifice. We swore we would never kneel to somebody again. What of the North? And I think she makes it clear that she's thinking secession here. So I think Danny was put on notice, um, which was why she she was all she had her hairs all up in the um, King's Landing war strategy after the long night, and she was like, "You don't want to commit any troops, me, 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 me," because she had that she had that in the back of her mind. Because Sansa was like, "Come on, son, you really think the North is going to be part of your kingdoms after this? Think again." So I just want to push back a little bit on that. It's that, but that's my point, and that's my problem with the exchange between the two. It's it's not so much that it's the fact that Danny was able to have the conversation with Yara, understand Yara's perspective, and get on board with Yara, and understand sort of how like okay, I get what you need, and I get your history, and I understand this, and come to a reasonable sort of compromise between the two and then enter into this discussion with Sansa having had this entire fucking exchange with John already about like the history of his family and not bring that into sort of bring that insight into the conversation with Sansa and understand maybe how to be a little bit more diplomatic in that exchange even if you're making empty promises but at least understanding that you got to do more than just have an awkward silence like you need to have thought about this and think about sort of you know the history here and the significance of it all now there might be some people that say that was a sign of Danny already sort of being on her bullshit and you know sort of being like fuck it y'all gonna be with me or you're not gonna be with anybody which maybe in hindsight it could have been but I would argue that I don't know that the writers did a good job at sort of developing that but that's that's my frustration about that conversation between the two is that I think that we had seen Danny before understand the history and sort of understand how to respond to it when we get to the conversation between Danny and Sansa, we just get awkward silence. I'm like, motherfuckers, I want more of this scene. I want more discussion. I, even if they did not agree in the end, I wanted more dialogue. Oh, I will always take more dialogue. Yeah, that that's my thing. It's not so much, it's not me, me being critical of Danny or me being critical of Sansa. It's more so me feeling like, had we had just a few more episodes, maybe we could have had the time to have more dialogue between the two. And even if in the end, Danny's like, fuck that, I don't agree with her, so Sansa's just gonna have to feel however the fuck it is she feels. Listen, I'm not necessarily gonna be in agreement with that because I tend to see Sansa's view of things, but this had just had more conversation about it, especially when you've established this precedent of where we've sort of seen you at least indulge in the discussion with others and you've got these two important characters these two strong actresses like I just wanted more that I mean that's it and and maybe that's ultimately going back to my overarching sort of 
desire to have had more episodes in the final season because I think had we had a few more episodes, maybe we could have had a longer exchange or more exchanges between Danny and Sansa. I don't necessarily need them to be on the same page, although, because like I said, like them not ever getting on the same page would have been a better indicator to me as part of this journey to where Danny ultimately ends up and what she does. But to leave it, to leave that conversation with just no resolution, just like, all right, Sansa, I, I agree, Sansa was very clear, and there was no question for me, but it's like we never really get sort of in Danny's headspace as Sansa is saying these things, and I guess we're just left to conclude, as you said, when we get to that speech where Danny is like, oh, we taking all these bitches down and mentions the Starks, and you're like, oh, shit, bitch, she took notes and she is not fucking around with it. I would have loved, like, maybe just one more exchange, one more conversation, one more something between, like, point A and point B, just to sort of give me a little bit more meat and a little bit more substance to where we ended up. Yeah, like, even if, like, the scene that Danny had with John later on in that episode, she could have, she could have bitched about that, you know, and been, and present her reason for why it's different than Yara. Yeah. I mean, the North is literally half of the Seven Kingdoms. Maybe not population-wise, but size-wise, it is half of the fucking kingdom. So, and the Iron Islands are this fucking pissant set of islands where nobody's even attractive. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck would you even want them? Yara gets to be queen? Okay, fine. But Danny, strategically, why would she give up the North? Exactly. But she she could bitch to Tyrion about it. She could bitch to Jon and be like, this motherfucker really trying to take half of my kingdom? Like, that's not gonna work. And even that one line would make, would would help resolve things. Exactly. Exactly. And that that's sort of my pet peeve with it all. Yeah. I, I mean, ch- chalk that up to the whole season eight for me. Or see, half, the last half of season seven and all of season eight. We needed more time. We needed better treatment. And yeah. speaking of better treatment... Speaking of better treatment, who are the major characters, or or at least your one major character who either you just didn't like them, or you thought they had been done wrong? Okay. I'm ready. Who is it? (laughs) Who is it? Y'all can call me a hashtag bad feminist. I don't give a fuck. I don't like Catelyn Stark, and I said what the fuck I said. I knew said. this was coming. Don't come, <laughs> don't bring your monkey ass up in my mentions telling me why I should like her. Because let me be very clear, I have read the defenses, and I have read the article versions of them, and I have read the Twitter thread versions of them, and I understand that she has very fierce defenders, but let me tell you who is not moved by any of it. <laughs> me so long story short i'm gonna tell you i have no problem with characters who do shitty things and the shittiest thing catelyn ever did was be shitty towards Jon snow and i told y'all from the top one of the reasons why i felt a connection to this show and to and even in the books and to john is because i know and i have shared more sort of 
you know, candid stories with Christine privately about sort of that whole teasing and sort of that revelation when you learn what a bastard means and how it can be a total boot punch and 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 how hurtful it can be. So I gotta tell you, I'm just not going to be the person who's not gonna dislike the person who shits on a character because they're a fucking bastard. And I appreciate you know, sort of the arguments that, you know, because of the time period, Catelyn couldn't really take her, you know, issues out on Ned, who who really would have been the appropriate target of it. I appreciate all of that, but I gotta say, I gotta say, I, I approach those kinds of arguments with caution because I feel like those are the same kinds of arguments and their nature that people use when we say well why the fuck couldn't this show be more diverse and people say well because of the times and blah, blah, blah. And it's like but you know they're not black and it's like okay so you know that's fine that's all good and whatever but fuck her um i don't fucking like her um i appreciate that she was <laughs> listen i love the catlin and rob moments uh she's a fierce mom to the kids that she actually looked at as being her kids I you know I appreciate all of that I still don't really know sort of her dynamic with Arya and I say this as someone who has forgotten the books and I don't feel like we got enough of that on the show but all of these things are just sort of why I just I don't see it for her in terms of major characters I appreciate and respect why people feel like they need to be staunch defenders of her, and I just hope that you will appreciate the fact that I don't give a fuck about her and I don't like her because fuck her for being shitty to John. I just really, like, I, I mean, if you have been listening to our podcast, we have literally spent how many episodes, Christine, talking about Poe's, talking about Paris's burning, talking about, like, the importance of your chosen family and sort of how important it is, like, to find these connections when, you know, the people that should care for you and should be there for you are not. And so I hope that people understand that it is not going to be on brand for me to, like, to not dislike a character <laughs> who is just like, well, fuck you, you're not mine biologically, you know, I'm pissed because my husband cheated on on me, and I don't know, something, something, because of the time period, I can't be pissed at him the way that I should be, so I'm going to basically take it out on this, like, child who's not mine, who didn't ask to be in this world. I just, I, I, I can fully admit that it is all very personally triggering to me, um, as someone who is, one, a bastard, two, who watched, you know, my mom eventually, you know, connect with my stepfather, he had a child before they got together, and she was nothing but loving and supporting to that child, like, these are the things that I've seen, and so, yes, I am fully admitting that I am taking my personal, real-world experiences, and I'm applying them to this character, and I'm just not here for your fucking Catelyn Stark defenses, like I said, was she a fierce mother to the kids that she considered to be her own? Absolutely. Like I said, I would like to see more in terms of the dynamic between her and Arya because I frankly think that Ned was maybe a little bit more supportive of Arya in terms of not being wanting to be a traditional lady and all that good stuff. 
But that's what we saw in the show. I can't remember what's in the books, and I just don't give a shit enough to remember what the fuck the books said about that, if they even addressed it whatsoever. Um, I'm not saying that she's a terrible woman. I'm not knocking you if you like Catelyn or if you defend Catelyn. What I'm basically saying is Catelyn is not for me. And the defenses for her are not my ministry. That is going to be an ongoing theme for today's episodes. Not my ministry, babes. So, you know, I don't say, like, you are wrong for liking her. Or you are wrong for, like, understanding her perspective. Or you are wrong for wanting to defend her. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the character is just not for me. Um, I tend to, like... My characters who do shitty things, I like it when they have a little bit of self-awareness about themselves. So, like, we all know in our in our hearts and our souls, like, I love Cersei, but Cersei is, like, the most ain't-shit character that ain't shit in, this, in the history of ain't-shitness. But you always <laughs> sort of get this feeling but that Cersei kind of gets it and is like, listen, bitch, it's us versus them. So I'm going to be the ain't-shit person I need to be because I need to preserve us. Those characters, I tend to, I can kind of live with a little bit more. I don't really vibe with characters that are, like, that do ain't shit things but still have this, like, haughty sense of self-righteousness. Not my jam. It can be your jam, and it doesn't make you wrong and me right or me wrong and you right. But that is sort of where I land on it. I just wanted to say that because I feel like there's a lot of discourse in the fandom that like if you don't like Catelyn you're a bad feminist you're a terrible woman that you know if you liked women you would like Catelyn and what I'm telling you in very plain language is as a woman I don't fuck with Catelyn Stark that is sort of my truth and my ministry and I don't judge and I don't take issue if you like her nonetheless that is totally your fucking prerogative the things that i feel and say about her are totally and wholly within my opinion and you are entitled to your opinion she is a character that i feel very strongly about in my distaste so i i'm going to be upfront and say that i'm not really inclined to being sort of you know converted to the other side I have read the other side's take on it and i'm still not there so it is what it is. I said what the fuck I said. Christine, who don't you like or would you like to comment on Catelyn? I don't think I have anything to add on Catelyn. I mean, I've been brought up to believe that the sins of the father should never be put upon the son or mm-hmm. the children. And Cat definitely did that to John. It just it just completely goes against the way I was brought up. And I was just never, never into that. Now, the reason why Kat isn't my least favorite major character is because I just appreciate the diversity of all the characters of Game of Thrones. We've got so many different perspectives, so many shades of amazing, so many shades of horrible. Like, there's just such a spectrum. And I appreciate every character so for me, like my least favorite major character isn't really the character. Like 
would I hang out with so-and-so? Like, I'm not going to hang out with Ramsey. I'm not going to hang out with Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a list of villains that you could choose from, and they're all horrible in different ways, but I delight in having them on the screen. Right. And there's so many ways in which problematic characters give me so much joy and also bring the plot along that it's impossible for me to say this major character fucking sucks i hate them you know i wish they never existed on the show so for me it's more about the treatment Mm -hmm. of the character and for me it ends up being the night king interesting and it was it was really difficult for me to get to this point in answering this question. I literally went to IMDb and went to the cast <laughs> and started scrolling down. And I'm like, who am I getting in a visceral reaction to? Mm-hmm. And it was really only the Night King. And it's because, again, season eight kind of failed me. And I had mentioned this actually as a positive that in... A Night of Seven Kingdoms, we find out why the Night King is doing the things he does. Mm-hmm. Like, what is his whole point? What is he after? What is his goal? And it's to, it's to have an endless night and erase the world. And, of course, Bran is its memory. And Sam has this very poetic way of saying that death is forgetting and being forgotten so of course that's what the night king is after and to me i was just like really that's that's what he's after like literally i went into season eight just saying all i want from this season is why the night king is fucking shit up like yeah what is his whole point what is his like why what is the backstory how did he go from a first man to the night king and have all these powers and dragon fire can't fucking harm him and all of this shit like give me more of the mythos around the night king and they gave me this lame ass answer and it just didn't do it for me, man. And it didn't, it didn't give me a chubby at all. Not even a little bit. Not even like our early morning riser. Nothing. No. Gave me absolutely nothing. I mean, it really did. I just thought it was so weak. It was, to me, it seemed like such bullshit. Like, I think I pretty much, I think I said, this is bullshit the second I heard it. I was not into it. I'm still not into it. Um, I love the way he went out. Like, yo, Arya stand for real. I love the fact that Arya took him down. He's also had some badass moments. The end of Hard Home, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, that's silent. All you hear is the fucking wind, and he just slowly brings up his arms and raises all of those dead, and everybody goes, oh, this shit is serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he ain't fucking oh, around, y'all. <laughs> he, he ain't fucking around one bit. He could, he could do that. Okay. Okay, then. I just needed, I just needed more. I just needed more of the mythos around the Night King. And to me, the treatment of his character was just, it was more lacking. 
than any of the other characters. So that's why he's my least favorite. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And it's funny because, you know, there are people, um, so lovers, of self-proclaimed lovers of season eight, and I'm about to get on your side about, about a few things. You know, there are people who take issue with, you know, John being revealed as the son of Liana and um, Rhaegar. Um, but, you know, people wanting more from that, right? Like, uh, in terms of, like, you know, people who took issue with Arya being the one to kill the Night King, that people felt like, okay, but John's whole trajectory, you know, even from his parentage, you know, up until that current moment in which that episode airs, that it had been leading to that moment and taking issue with that, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I get that criticism, but I'm also like, there, no one made you any promises, baby, that, that John was going to be the one. So I don't know why you set yourself up for those expectations, and I loved sort of the subversiveness of it being Arya. Um, so I was here for that. I say all that to say, so I'm I'm on the side of the I want season eight people in terms of that. That being said, um, although I can live with there not being more. Uh, okay, so let me let me rephrase that. I think that what we got from John's parentage was significant and important and very self evident, and I didn't need more. I didn't need for him to like kill the Night King in order for that to sort of, you know, be the perfect ending to his arc. Or to that that whole, like, to his lineage. That being said, I'm completely aligned with you in terms of at least wanting a little bit more about who we um, in Castle Slack refer to as Todrick. And Todrick's motivations and sort of what Todrick is all about. I mean, we got insight in terms of the formation of the Night's King and why he sort of how he came to be but in terms of the why of it all we never got and it felt like particularly for a show where they make brand the significant character ultimately in the end like why not give us a little bit more in in terms of the night king as motivation the why of it all it, it just i think it goes back and and sorry to sort of beat this dead horse but it goes back to the whole if you maybe it just had 10 episodes maybe you could get a little bit more in there in terms of sort of why it is he wants to erase like I thought that Sam like I thought that they explained it very well it's not that I'm confused as to you know the why of it all but I would have loved a little bit more in terms of how we get there so I completely agree in terms of that. And I, I want to go back very briefly to my rant about Catelyn. Because I don't want the Well Actually Brigade to enter our mentions. I want to just say that I'm clearly and fully aware that Catelyn did have a moment where she laments her inability to love and accept John. I get that. I mean, isn't it to Rob's wife that she has that moment where I, I couldn't love a child? Where she's, you know... Uh, pulling, constructing that whatever, that piece for Rob or Bran or some, I don't give a shit who it was for. I just want to go on record and say that that was not enough for me. That too much, too little, too hey, late. To hey, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I just, I just, please leave this in the episode because I want to be very clear because I don't want people to think that I'm some 
big dummy that didn't see the scene or didn't appreciate the scene. Like, I saw the scene. I heard what the fuck she said. <laughs> and what I'm saying is, it wasn't fucking enough. Just in case there was any doubt or any question about that. Okay, sorry, Christine. But no, totally agree. I, I think that was brilliant about... I keep... I want to call him Todrick because that's what we sort of refer to him as jokingly, but... That left a lot to be desired, so I, I completely agree. Jocelyn completely agrees with me. I can't think of a better way to close out this episode, y'all, so let's just leave it right there. Thanks for joining us on another episode of I'ma Need More Wine. Join us again next Wine Wednesday when we drop the final installment of our Game of Thrones trilogy, which will get into such shit we like and shit we didn't like about minor characters, character arcs, deaths, thirst traps, and the future of Game of Thrones. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and spread the word about us. We love reading your reviews, so please rate and review us as well. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MoreWinePod and message us with your comments and feedback because we'd love to hear from you. You can also email us at MoreWinePod at gmail.com. Until next week. that died the horrible death um come on remind me christine uh the one that you said the boy who died the horrible death you know how many people died a horrible death